The Portland Insight Meditation Center is located in southeast Portland, Oregon. Robert Beatty has been the guiding teacher there since 1978. For more information and to access many more teachings available online, please visit portlandinsight.org. And we're being asked to respond quicker, respond to more information. And often we're being asked to do it without thinking because we need to do it quickly. But it takes time to think through things. It takes time to feel centered and certainly heart-centered. When I was in um, graduate school <clears throat> to be a therapist, I'll never forget, I had this great professor and uh, he used to say, we all have turtle hearts. And he said, the mind takes a while to process information. He said, but the heart takes forever to catch up. He says, we have to be attentive to the turtle heart because the heart always feels like it's lagging behind. Excuse me. It always feels like it's lagging behind. And the example he gave is, think of a time when intellectually or cognitively, you were ready to move forward with something. Maybe there was a problem in your life and you just felt, okay, time to put it in the past. I'm ready to move on. Maybe there's this grudge or this resentment and mentally you were over it, but the heart kept saying, hmm, still hurt, still hurt, not ready, not ready to move on just yet. The heart moves slower, right? It moves slower. It has its own needs. The mind has its needs. So right now what I find is it's like we're being dragged behind Facebook and Instagram and all of these things. That's moving at a particular pace. Our minds are moving at a slower pace and our heart is left way in the back trying to catch up. That feeling of being left behind or being out of touch or not connected quick enough is natural because our heart and minds do not move at the pace of Facebook. So it's important if you're ever feeling that to remember that your heart is processing and healing and loving and trying to be kind at a very different pace than what's being demanded of it online. And it's okay to feel overwhelmed and to feel depressed and anxious or wanting to close down and just shut it all out. It's a natural, natural response to do this. Let's just remember the turtle heart. It's there, it's moving, but it's moving slow. And if we respect it and respect its needs, we can awaken to more compassionate and wise responses to our world. But it does take a protecting of our sense doors and reminding ourselves how our heart and minds actually work. This is something I'm trying to learn myself. <laughs> As we know, it's not easy. I'm often looking at my turtle heart and saying, you're moving too slow. Come on, let's go. It's time now. But the heart only moves at the space and pace the heart does. So let us be loving to ourselves so we can be loving to others. I wanted to share with you a couple things the Buddha talks about in regards to our basic meditation practice. One of the things I've noticed in the last few weeks is I felt like I needed to come home to my practice. And I asked myself, how do I get back on track? How do I, how do I stay grounded in the Dharma? What did the Buddha say? What are the basics? How do I maintain a foothold in Vipassana, our insight meditation, with all the energy that's coming at me? What should I be focusing on? What should I be remembering to keep myself grounded and centered. And I wanted to share this quote with you. Let's see if I can do this. I'm not a Zoom expert, but let's see if I can 
share my screen. Okay, let's see. Share. Aha, here we go. Okay, so as I'm sharing screen, for those of you who can see your screen, this is a quote from the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the sutta which describes our meditation practice. It is the big teaching on Vipassana. And I want to read this. This is the opening lines of the Satipatthana. Monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha, and discontent, for acquiring the true method, for the realization of nirvana, namely the four Satipatthanas, which many of us know as the four foundations of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, monks, in regards to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body, ardent, alert, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. Contemplating the body, ardent, alert, and mindful. What's interesting about ardent, alert, and mindful, if you ever pick up a book on the Satipatthana Sutta, there are entire chapters for each of these words. That's how important they are to our practice. That's how essential they are to our basic meditation. Mindful, ardent, and alert. Now, I want to explore at least two of these today, the word mindful and the word alert. Because being mindful and alert can really help us protect our sense doors. This is right there in the very first teaching of the Buddha. Oops, sorry. Very first teaching of the Buddha in regards to meditation. He reminds us that one of our primary jobs is to be mindful and to be alert. So let me unshare my screen. Stop share. There we go. So let's talk about what this means for us in protecting our sense doors, being mindful and alert. Well, one of the things I find pretty cool about mindfulness as far as the Buddha talks about it, mindfulness is the only quality that the Buddha says we can never have too much of. It's the only thing on his path that he says you can never have too much mindfulness which is pretty cool because if you think about it, there's not much in our life that falls into that category. You certainly can eat too many Cheetos. You certainly can have too many cookies. There's certainly too much intoxicants, right? There's certainly too much media, but the Buddha says there's never too much mindfulness. We can always have more mindfulness. We are never gonna be filled up on mindfulness. It is important to remember that the goal of mindfulness for us is to open the door to the present moment. The present moment is the only place that reality is actually occurring. Our life occurs in presence. Most of the time, out of habit, we live in the future and we live in the past. We roll in regret and we think back to the past and we wanna change things and we want things to be different or we imagine futures or we're planning and worrying and we have our checklists and things to do. And it's totally natural, we need it to survive but life is really occurring in the present moment. Present moment awareness, that is what we're seeking at the beginning of our practice. Mindfulness allows us to enter into the present. Now, when we talk about present moment, 
we talk about it as if it's a place, but it's really not a place, it's a relationship. Mindfulness changes how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others. Present moment awareness is a relationship with the world. It's a relationship with our life that opens us up to the possibility of wisdom and compassion. We talk about it as if it's a place, and it feels certainly like a place, but really it's a relationship. Cultivating mindfulness cultivates a new relationship with our heart and with our mind and with our fellow humans. That is really what mindfulness does. Continuous mindfulness with practice, continuous mindfulness allows our experience of the world to slow down. Things are coming at us so quickly with so much ferocity, so much energy. Mindfulness, when it's continuous, when we can hold attention moment to moment, moment to moment, over and over, and have continuity, what starts to happen is we see the world in slower motion. It allows us to take a breath, to take a pause, and really see what's coming into the sense doors. Mindfulness allows us to slow down. It's one of the great benefits of mindfulness. It allows us to take a deep, full body, full emotional breath, and to really watch what's arising and what's passing away. And if we do this ongoing, it begins to train the mind to see the clarity and the details of what is arising and passing away. In doing this, it doesn't come at us with such intense energy because it's coming slower. For the meditator, the experience of the world is that it's much slower than a non-meditator. The subjective experience of one's relationship is that you can watch things arise and pass away where before they were happening so rapidly. It's like watching a sporting event and the meditator gets to watch the entire sporting event in slow motion, right? The same event, but it feels different. It's not as energetic. It's not as intense. So when the Buddha says protect our sense doors, let's remember that the easiest way to decrease some of this intense energy that's coming at us is just to be mindful, is just to be present. The more present we are with what's coming in on our sense doors, the slower and less intense it will feel, and it will open us to the possibility of acting with greater wisdom, greater skillfulness, and greater kindness to both ourselves and to others. Mindful and alert, the first two steps of meditation. Another thing about mindfulness that it's really easy to forget is with practice, mindfulness feels really good. Being in the present moment will actually produce positive neurochemicals. You'll start feeling good being in the present moment. And the longer you can be in the present moment, the more satisfying it will be for both the heart and the mind the mind will begin to look forward to the present as a place of respite, in a place of ease, a place of calm, a place of safety and well-being. In the beginning stages though, of course, we invite the mind to be present and what does it do? It says, no, I'm not gonna be present. I'm gonna go run off into the future and worry about something because that's how the mind is trained. So we practice mindfulness to learn to be present to slow down all of the sense input and so we can have a sense of peace and ease. So we have a place internally that feels good to ourselves away from and outside of this stream of sensory input. The mind wanders naturally because we train the mind 
from early on to seek out pleasures outside of itself. We don't train the mind to find pleasure within unless we're practicing something like this, like Vipassana. So it's perfectly normal for the mind to go somewhere else, even though you're asking it to do something very simple. We ask the mind simply to be with an in-breath. It does it for about three seconds and then it gets bored and it decides it wants to think about some conversation you had with somebody 20 years ago. It has not been trained to enjoy the present moment experience. But with practice, when we awake to the wandering mind, we re-invite it back to the present moment. When we do this over and over again, this is the cultivation of mindfulness. And in doing that, we begin to show the mind that there is a nice little place that it can rest and be free. And with time, it begins to believe it and then begins to crave it. And then it wants to rest in the present moment because it begins to see the benefit. Until it sees the benefit though, it's gonna basically be an ornery teenager. You're gonna ask it to do something and it's gonna tell you no and it's gonna walk out of the room. It is not just gonna be with the breath. It just doesn't work that way. This is why in the very opening lines of the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha reminds us, be mindful, be alert, be ardent. You have to be mindful. Mindfulness is the first step. And it's so easy with the energy of the world to forget our primary practice of just being awake and aware to what is arising and passing away and how helpful and healing that can be for our hearts and minds. Along with mindfulness, the Buddha asks us to be alert. Mindful and alert. Now the word alert, some of you might be familiar with, um, another translation of alert is clearly knowing or clearly seeing. Be mindful and clearly see or clearly know. Alertness is asking us, once we're present with mindfulness, once we're present, alertness says, what can we see? What is actually happening? Can we be alert and attentive to where the mind is actually going? What are the thoughts that are arising and passing away? What are the moods? Mindfulness is merely the presence. Mindfulness is our ability to hold something in mind long enough to be present with it. Alertness is our ability to see the details. Mindful and alert, awake and clearly seeing. Many of us, all of us actually, will have meditations where we're trying to be mindful, but there isn't much clarity. We might have some mindfulness two, three minutes at a time, but we're not really clear what the mood is or where the mind's wandering. With practice, mindfulness and alertness work hand in hand. Mindfulness keeps us present, alertness keeps us clear. And when you're alert, it's easier to be mindful. And when you're mindful, it's easier to be alert. So they work hand in hand. And that's why the Buddha asks us to be both mindful and alert in the very beginning instructions of meditation. We wanna be awake to what's arising but alert to the details. What is really happening? What is going on inside this chaotic heart and mind in this moment? And there's a lot going on, as we all know. There are a few things the Buddha encourages us to be alert to that can help us to be not only present, but help us gain wisdom into the nature of happiness and the nature of suffering. The first thing the Buddha asks us to be alert to is what's luring the mind away? 
in this moment, why does the mind find imagining a latte to be more pleasurable than the in-breath? In this moment, what is luring the mind away? Why does the mind care about what happened last week? Looking for what's luring the mind away, anticipating it allows us to catch the mind before it wanders. Every single one of us have certain things that intoxicate the mind. Some of us love to fantasize about the future. Other of us love to stew in the past. Some of us love to think about our checklists. That would be me. Other people love to think about things that have already happened. The mind rolls in those two directions, but each of us have our own lure. We're like little fish and the fish hook comes down and there's certain bait and every one of us, our hearts and minds can be baited into the past or baited into the future by different things. Getting to know your mind, getting to know what excites it to go away from the present moment is one of the things that happens with maturity of meditation practice. We become alert to not only the fact that the mind is wandering, but what is it that is luring it away? And one week it may be one thing and another month it might be something else, right? It could be a different stress, a different trigger, a different heartbreak. It's gonna be different all the time, but being alert to it can help us catch the mind before it wanders. Similarly, the Buddha asks us, what is the spark right before the mind wanders away? Can you be alert to that pull from within, that little twitch that happens right before the mind says, okay, bored with breath, I'm gonna go think about tomorrow. That little spark that happens just before the mind darts away. I always like to watch my cat when my cat is playing with a toy he crouches down and he twitches his tail a little bit. And there's just a moment right before he pounces on the toy. And you can see that he's just about ready to pounce on the toy. That spark, the mind does that as well, just before it leaps into the past or the future. There's a little energetic pull. And then the mind leaps and says, okay, done with breath now, I'm moving on. Being alert to that spark, that moment right before the fire is lit is really important. And with practice, we can stay mindful enough to be alert to that little kick from within, that little twitch that says, hmm, I'm starting to get bored with the in-breath. I'm starting to get bored with the sensations in my hands. The mind's still there, but it's starting to think about wandering, but you can catch it. So we wanna be alert to the lure and then the spark, that initial spark that jumps for the bait. The more we can do this, the easier it will be to keep the mind present. The more we can be alert to that, the deeper the mindfulness. Another thing that the Buddha asks us to be alert to is impermanence. Anicca, impermanent changing phenomenon. Once we're mindful of what's going on in the present moment, the Buddha invites us to be alert to something very powerful the arising and passing away of sensations. In-breath, out-breath, mood, feeling, thought train here, thought train there, arising, passing, impermanence, all about inside. Getting in touch with the arising and passing away of phenomenon is a great way to create a sense of ease and well-being because we begin to see that the universe inside and out is always changing. 
And so much suffering comes from wanting it to stop changing. So much of our suffering comes from grasping and wanting things to stay the same. And they just don't. Every breath, every moment, different sensations on the body, different mood, different thoughts. And with mindfulness and alertness, we can begin to see really clearly with an elegant detail all the different ways that the mind arises and passes away from moment to moment and really use mindfulness to get present and deeply connected to that fact of our existence. Aware and awake to impermanence. That is something we can be alert to. And it's something that we practice day in and day out with our meditation. Another thing the Buddha encourages us to be alert to is suffering. When we're in our meditation, it's very helpful to not simply be aware that we're present, but to be on the lookout for the discontent, the disease. Where are the unhappy feelings? Where is the sense of hatred? Where is the sense of desperation or depression? Where is the feeling of loneliness and disconnection? We can be mindful without being alert to those things. Being alert to them is a deeper sense of practice. Being alert and willing to embrace dukkha, leaning into the suffering rather than pushing away. This is the key to freedom, the ability to be mindful, then be alert to the suffering with such clarity that we end up leaning in and then transcending it, right? So we lean into the suffering, we look at its cause, we're alert to the clarity of that, and then we let go. Or in other cases, you may practice, say, loving kindness or do another practice. Whatever we do in response to the suffering will be skillful moment to moment, but we can't engage the suffering. We can't cultivate a heart filled with happiness and joy if we can't first be alert to the suffering itself. Our minds are trained to run away from suffering. We do not want to sit in suffering, right? We want to get away from suffering. So even when we learn to meditate and we begin to be mindful of what's arising in the present moment, the mind still likes to hide from itself. It doesn't want to be alert to the details of the dukkha. This is why the Buddha has to remind us, mindfulness isn't enough. We have to be intentional about being alert to the allures of the mind wandering, to the spark of the boredom. We want to be clear on what's causing the suffering. We want to be clear enough to lean into it, to embrace it, and to allow it to be whatever it is in this moment. Mindfulness and alertness, alertness and mindfulness. These are two simple in one sense, but challenging to practice, right? To put into practice ways that we can decrease the intensity and energy of the world in a way that can give us a sense of ease, a sense of joy, a sense of feeling reconnected with ourselves, a way of staying balanced, and a way of taking all this energy that comes in and giving it a place to go. We can use the mindfulness and alertness to hold the energy of all of these sensory inputs and be able to react to them in a loving, kind, and wakeful manner. This is why we practice these as the foundation of Vipassana. Hmm, I think that might be all for my, give me a second. Yeah, I think that's it. We have a few minutes. 
for questions or reflections if someone would like. Now I'm used to a smaller group uh, with a different setup. So Jim, how do you guys do Q&A? Is there, are people able to just unmute themselves or how does that work with this one? Um, yes, the, uh, any individual uh, wants to can unmute. So pay attention, <laughs> take a breath before you speak. Unmute, take a breath and then uh, jump in and see if there's anyone else that's out there. So it, we step on each other's toes a little bit, but it's it, it works. Okay. Yeah, and you guys can shoot up a hand too, and I can, I could, but it's sometimes it's hard to see. <laughs> but yeah, feel free to unmute and express if expression is what's called. I'll try to scan the uh, both pages so that. Uh, Gregory doesn't have to fiddle around or send out a chat. I can respond to that too. Hello, this is Christy. Hi. Hello, Christy. Oh, hey, Christy. Hey. Wow, Gregory, that was really well, a really well organized. Uh, Dharma talk. Oh, thank you. I really appreciated it. And I really appreciate that it's already recorded. So I can be more relaxed and and because um, I sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, I got to write that down. <laughs> so anyhow, um, I really appreciate that that's recorded. I'm looking forward to it. And what I hadn't thought of before is... Um, what is turning my mind away? And is there, is there a pattern there? Um, and then one thing I noticed today that was turning my mind away, uh, so I, I, and if, and I just, I wanna focus in on that. And maybe it's, it's something that occurs to me regularly. I feel like it is, it, like it's a powerful draw and um, I believe that this will really help me. And then also, um, yeah, it just seemed like it was uh, a very logical way of thinking that you, you start, uh, you think, what is doing this? And maybe why is it doing this? And uh, because, is it okay to think of why is it doing this? A really good question. Yes, it is. Um, the reason that we don't often hear about this part of the path is that in American Buddhism, we tend to have a real heavy emphasis on equanimity. So there's seven factors of enlightenment. Mindfulness is one of them. Equanimity, which is the letting go, the not doing, right? The accepting, the loving, accepting awareness is being equanimous. But then there's the investigation, we call it investigation or curiosity factor that we balance with mindfulness and equanimity. And the investigation factor asks why, for the reason you're saying, it's not as much of uh, finding the truth of why, it's more about being in touch with the why. Because once you can start to see why, it begins to be easier to simply invite the mind back because we all have our own habit patterns. Really, the Buddha says that some habit patterns 
don't require any reflection into the why. If you just bring awareness and equanimity to them, the habit pattern will dissolve eventually. But the Buddha says that there's some deeper patterns that we have that we need to investigate. And if we don't investigate the why of them, then they just keep happening over and over and over again. And some of the deeper habit patterns that come from wounds or deep stresses or intense experiences will, will cling in the mind in a different way. So oftentimes we need to balance investigation, which is why, why is the mind going back to this thing? What am I holding on to? What am I clinging to? And other times it's best just to not even ask that and just to say, look, this is arising. So you would have to, with your own skillful effort, balance the investigation with the equanimity. And as you learn to do that, you'll find your practice will be much deeper overall. I really appreciate that. And I feel like now I have another step in, uh, to investigate in my practice. Wonderful. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks. Hey Gregory, this is Vic here. Can you hey, hear me? Vic. Yes. Um, so once again, I really liked your talk too. Thank you very much. And I, I appreciated your story of your cat. Oh. <laughs> it winds itself up before it springs. And it, it, it calls to mind maybe the 12 steps of dependent origination as the way to kind of observe you know, how the tail wags and how you crouch and how you spring. Oh, yeah. I, I wonder, is, is there, um, I, I know it's a very lengthy talk, but is there an opportunity to kind of try and observe the arising in those very discrete steps? And is that useful? Yes, very much so. That's a, that is, um, that is what you are doing. Exactly. The dependent co-arising is the chains of causality of sensory because it starts with ignorance and sensory input. And then there's the craving and the clinging and the grasping. So you're right that the model of dependent co-arising is that exact same thing. It's a great way of putting it. And what the Buddha, the, the reason the Buddha is showing the links in the chain is because you can be alert, not only to the links in the causal chain, but each person has the ability to intervene at any one of those links. So when the sense information comes in, we can react to it there. When craving arises, we can react to it there. Even after we're grasping, we can react to it there. We have the ability to intervene at any given point in that causal chain to be able to decrease the suffering and, and break and break the chain essentially that's binding us. So you're right, that whole thing I was talking about, I'm gonna have to think that through and maybe write something up. It's, a, it's kind of interesting that you put it in that way, but yes, you're right, exactly. What we're being alert to is the causal chain and we're trying to find a place to where we can intervene to reduce the suffering. So in, as Christy was saying, um, sometimes we're gonna intervene after the fact and we have to ask us why, why is this grasping happening? And sometimes we can catch it even before that, right as, because we're, we're familiar with the pattern and we say, all oh, right, here's that pattern of regret. I can let this go because I've seen it. I know the pattern and I, I know the allure. And so I'm not, I'm just going to let it go. But sometimes we have to see the pattern and identify it and talk to ourselves about it a little bit to get the chain clear before we can, we can do it. That's a great observation, Vic. 
All right. We are at time. Wait, no. What do we? What time do we end, Jim? Um, am I? <laughs> hang on. Yeah, so unmuted. Um, we uh, go w with the conversation. You know, if there's okay. more questions, um, uh, we can stay for another fifteen minutes. Oh, okay. All right. I forget that I usually mine's usually till eight forty-five. So I was looking at the forty-five mark and thinking, oh, we're done. <laughs> um, yeah. If there's other questions, if not, we'll do some meta before we leave. If there's any other questions, we still have time to chat. Hey, Gregory. It's Michael. We're oh, hey, Michael and Jessica. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. We were just sitting here speaking during your last comments a little bit about, I really like that you made the point that you can jump in anywhere along that, that process when you wake up to it. Because I think for both Jessica and myself, we were talking about how it's so often that sort of cultural or human nature that when we discover, we, we wake up in that process, it's easy to go back and say, ah, I failed because I didn't wake up earlier. And I really appreciated your pointing that out because it just gives us permission to succeed at different points. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That's a really good point. Yeah, the um, we get like seven tries, I guess, in any one side. You know, we have 12 steps, so I guess we get 12 tries, you know, to get, to get it right, which is better than you get in baseball. So I guess, like, we should consider ourselves to be lucky. But you're right. The um, And tying this back to what I was saying about protect your sense doors, the Buddha reminds us that protecting your sense doors is the earliest place that we can protect ourselves, right? By noticing, oh my gosh, there's a lot coming in. And then once it's in, like, for example, if I can just give you a personal example, if I spend too much time on social media, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Like my mood is, is nasty. It's just like, I don't like the way I feel if I'm on it too long. So I can wait till I don't feel that good and then try and deal with the emotions or I can protect my sense doors and say, I'm going to be on it less, but if I'm already wrapped up in it and starting to feel angry, okay, now I've got a different link in the chain where suffering is now caused. And is the suffering caused because I'm judging what I'm seeing on the internet? Is it because I've lost the balance? I mean, there's so many different things, right? The craving aversion. Am I averse to something? Am I craving something? What hindrance is being present? Uh, so you're right. We have lots of opportunities to uh, engage in an agency in the wheel of dependent arising of suffering and and feel successful and the idea of course is that over time you simply catch it sooner and sooner and sooner until you can see things arising so quickly that it doesn't get very far in the chain of suffering that's where suffering eventually ends. the whole idea is that eventually the cycle can come to an end that we can be so awake and aware and wise and compassionate that we no longer get swept up in the wheel of the causal chain. We can catch it early enough. We protect our sense doors always, and we're reacting and engaging in ways that keep it very nominal, and we can easily just brush it off, brush it off, brush it off, so we end up feeling a different buoyancy. So thanks, that's a great point. Hey, Gregory, this is Vic here again. I got mm -hmm. one more question. So, I know we talk a lot about not worrying about the past and worrying about the future, but I think learning from the past and planning for the future are good things. Mm -hmm. And 
being able to do that in the present moment is good. Yes. Right? So I, I was wondering if you had any suggestions about how one may be in the present. <laughs> Anne Marie, hey. <laughs> I just want to say hi. Hi, good to see you. How, how one may be in the present, but learn from the past, be in the present, but plan for the future. And yeah. not, you know, lost in the future, lost in the past. Definitely. Uh, this is its own Dharma talk though, Vic. So let me, let me see if I can give you a couple, a couple of suggestions on, I, this is a great question. Um, oh goodness, there's so many ways I could, um, okay, I'll just, um, okay. So first thing, let me say this about meditation. So we must remember that there's meditation practice that's on the cushion and then there's the engagement in the world. And though there's a similarity between how we do it, when we're engaged in the meditation, oftentimes we're trying to cultivate something specifically. So if we're trying to cultivate present moment awareness, the skillful thing is to let the, in those moments, to let the past and future not be as important in those moments because we're strengthening a particular muscle. So it's sort of like, if I'm gonna to go to the gym, I'm gonna go lift the weights but I'm going to leave the weights there and then I'm going to leave the gym. And then the stronger mind is then, or bicep or whatever is going to go do some work in the world. So that's one di distinction between how we deal with past and future. So in the meditation practice, when we're on the cushion and we're in the mode of heart mind training, so to speak, we are going to look at the future and the past as something that tends to distract us from Samadhi, from that cultivation of concentration. So that's one context for how we look at it. The other thing to remember is that the Buddha, that every, so this is where it gets a little complicated. Every present moment experience brings with it the intention to know the cause of suffering and the end of suffering. And in order to do that, we have to bring in the lessons from the past. So from a Buddhist point of view, when we're truly present, we also bring with us the lessons, the good skillful lessons from the past into the present so that we are engaging in the present based on lessons from what worked previously. So the Buddha talks about when we're present to always bring with you into the present skillful means. The skillful means come from lessons from your karmic previous actions that are skillful. So it's implicit that when the Buddha is talking about present moment awareness and future and past, he's always remarking that the present moment experience is only gonna be as skillful as the lessons from our previous karma, from what we've learned to be, to be pleasant, kind, joyful, equanimous. So I'm not sure if that, if that makes sense, but the, the Buddha acknowledges that in the moment where we're cultivating samadhi, past and future are distractions. But when we're doing other parts of the path, learning from our mistakes, and learning where suffering comes from, we need to bring that into that present moment awareness and use it as part of the lens through which we're looking at the present. Because in the present moment, we always ask ourselves, where is the suffering and what is the skillful means? What, where is the suffering, what is the suffering, and what is the skillful means? And those questions can only be skillfully answered if we're drawing from our previous wisdom, from our previous meditation, from the previous moment. And a lot of it also has to do with attachment. 
So past and future has, of course, survival. In psychology, we say adaptive significance. It's survival value. Like you said, we, if we don't look at the past, we're going to have problems in the present. <laughs> and if we don't plan for the future, we're going to have problems when that present moment arises. So we don't want to look at the past and future as negative. What we want to do is ask ourselves, what is the most skillful way I can relate to my past? What is the most skillful way I can relate to my future in this moment? So if I'm working on samadhi, the most skillful thing to do is to let them go. But if I'm working on cultivating compassion or discussing some other part with myself of the past, the most skillful thing might be to ask myself, if I yell at this person or call them a name, how's that going to work out in the future? That would be very a very skillful present moment reflection, right? Or you could ask yourself, you know, last time I said this to this person when I was in this mood didn't go so well. So my skillful means in the present is to be not to do that. So you begin to use, sorry, you begin to use the present and the past as relationships to skillful means in the present moment. It's more about how you relate to them uh, than anything else. And it can get quite complicated when you start talking about karma and the future and the past. But is that, is that land at all for you, Vic? Because I know that's a mouthful. Let's do one other, if anyone has a question, and then we'll close with some loving kindness. Gregory, I wanted to add something to that. Yeah, Jim. That, uh, one way of uh, cultivating um, wisdom <laughs> is, to, uh, is to cultivate um, loving kindness. How do we do that? We take a memory from the past of a benefactor teaching us or helping us or redirecting us. And we put ourselves into that memory until the, the, the turtle heart <laughs> goes from the mental image to, oh yeah, this felt like this. And then from that this, that could be a skillful means. The feeling of loving kindness, the, the loving kindness practice is cultivating the past experience. Exactly. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, it's a beautiful way of putting it. And you're aspiring for a future outcome, right? But what you're doing is you're taking the present moment and making the present moment skillful because you're using both the past and the future as a form of kindness and cultivation of wisdom. So again, you're relating to the past and the future in a way that's cultivating love. And so it's, yeah, perfect. That's, a, that's another example of how we, how we do it. And it's totally understandable. I know that when we learn meditation and we, we sit, oftentimes we learn, well, not oftentimes, most of the time, all of us are learning the Dharma in pieces. We go to this sit and that sit and this Dharma talk and that Dharma talk, and it's all, it's all over the map. So one guided meditation is heavy on letting go and another guided meditation is heavy on uh, loving kindness. So sometimes we don't put all the pieces together. So it can be easy to say, but isn't the job of the meditator to not act in how does that work with setting goals or, you know, so it, it, when we put it all together as a lifestyle, it all comes together and, and it does make sense. But when we break it into pieces, it's somehow sometimes hard to put the pieces back together. So these are great questions in the future, in the past and the present. And that relatedness is so important and such a deep wisdom comes from alertness to what's happening and using mindfulness and alertness allows that relationship to become very clear 
where you can then be very skillful about how you reminisce about your past and be very skillful about how you plan for your future. And all of this can occur in present moment awareness. So, and another way of looking at it, this is also a little more abstract, but another way of looking at it is that the, the present, the past only occurs in the present because the reminiscence is in the present. So the past really isn't separate from the present moment. And the future only exists in the planting of the seeds, which also occur in the present moment. So karmically speaking, the past, present, and future are only distinguishable in, in the way we use language in order to talk about them. But experientially, really, they're so intertwined. One is just different representations of the other. So, um, wow, what a wonderful conversation. I hadn't thought of any of this. This is wonderful. Yay. <laughs> well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is wonderful. I um, wanted you guys to let you know that Robert will be back Wednesday. So he's out Monday, Tuesday. And I think, see, Doug Pullen will be teaching one of those days. And I believe Doyle will be teaching. Is it Doyle, Jim, that will be teaching another one of those days? No, uh, Doyle has uh, tomorrow. And then Can Candle has Tuesday. Oh, Candle. Oh, okay. Great. So please join us for that. Uh, again, the Donable is there. Um, if you do, are not familiar with me as a teacher at PIMC, feel free to email me at gregorymalouf at gmail.com. I'll, I'll type it up here at the end if you want to say hi or make a comment about the talk. You can get, again, the podcast link is there if you want to hear my other talks or hear the talk about this that happened a couple of weeks ago. Let's fall back into the present for another few minutes and do some meta so we remind ourselves really why we do all of this together in community. Grab my bell here. Let's fall back into embodiedness for a few minutes here. Take a long, slow, deep breath in and out, in through the nose and out through the mouth. We've been together now for almost a couple hours. How is the mood in this moment? What does your body feel like now, two hours later? Bring the body into awareness. What is the mood? How does your heart feel in this moment? Take another long, slow, deep breath. Let's breathe in kindness and breathe out peace. Breathing in equanimity, breathing out compassion. Let us remind ourselves that we come together to practice, of course, for ourselves so we can be free, but our highest aspiration is the freedom of all beings. We come together to cultivate love and joy, wisdom, equanimity, 
tranquility and compassion, all the qualities of enlightenment, so we can be truly free from suffering. And we do this so when we show up in the world, every life we touch can be impacted by the merits of our practice. So we can show up in the world as kind, generous, awake and aware loving beings. And we aspire for all beings to be at ease. We aspire that all beings be free from suffering and ill will. May all beings know love and kindness, generosity and compassion. May all beings be free from suffering in this lifetime. We cultivate our practice so we can develop the courage to forgive ourselves so we can forgive others. So we can be kind, gentle, and merciful to ourselves and others. We might say something like, may I be forgiven for the harm I have done knowingly and unknowingly. May I be forgiven for the harm I have done knowingly and unknowingly. And may I forgive all beings for the harm they have done knowingly and unknowingly. May I aspire to love myself exactly as I am in this moment. May I aspire to love all beings and wish for their happiness and freedom. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you, my friends. Have a lovely rest of your weekend. I'll toss my email address here in case you don't have it if you want to give me a shout out. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you. Unmute yourself if you wish. Thank you. <coughs> Happy Sunday. Goodbye, everybody. <coughs> Goodbye. 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 Thank you very much for being here. Hi. Hey, Allison. Hi. Hi. Great talk. Thanks, folks. Mm, thank you so much. Great. Thank great. you, Allison. Great to see I you. Just, I loved it a second time, even better. I yes. think because it's morning and not night. You know, I, <laughs> I can concentrate better. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So Gregory? Yes, sir.
I'm going to uh, save the chat and, and I can send you or you can save it if you wish or, or, or I can uh, send it to you. And we need to send a message to Tiffany with the theme for the talk. And um, I apologize. I didn't get the recording going right at the beginning. So there's a little bit of a, a gap. You'll, you'll be in mid-sentence, but, but you didn't get to the main. You were still in the introduction when I remembered. The <laughs> so oh, for the Zoom recording? I yeah. see what you're saying. Um, yeah, because this is Robert's account, so I don't have access to it. I think this is his private account, correct? Not the, the account you and I usually use? No, no, this is the one, yeah. Oh, it is, okay. Right, so oh, okay. I recorded it to the cloud, and then and uh, Tiffany has access through this uh, login, but she needs a, uh, a title. That, okay. That's, so we need to I send see. her an email. Okay, I will send her an email with the title and then I can, I will download the talk onto my own site from Zoom um, and we'll be, be good to go. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I think I'm going to uh, uh, download the audio and send it to Christy because she was okay. really, you know, she was really anxious for it. Now I'll apologize for messing up the beginning, but, but all the good stuff is, is there. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Jim, so much for your help. That was fun. All right, yeah. So uh, there's a few people that are still logged in, but I'm going to log. First of all, I gotta save the chat and then I will log out. Thank you very much, Gregory, that was wonderful. Yeah, so much fun. See you guys. Bye-bye. The Portland Insight Meditation Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and is funded entirely through donation. If you'd like to give, please visit portlandinsight.org and click the Donate Now button at the top right. Through your generosity, we can continue to offer these teachings, and we are so grateful for your support.